Welcome to our first NSB podcast. Happy New Year. Today is Monday, January 6th, and this is our first podcast of this new year. My name is Luke. I'm the pastor here at First NSB, and joining me today are Paul Sanders and Joel Kobosh, two members of our pastoral team. Thanks for tuning in. We're glad you're listening today. Let me just take a moment and ask you guys, how was your Christmas and New Year? It was nice. We had a nice time. We went to see uh, Abby's family. Also, it was uh, Wells' first Christmas, so that was fun. Uh, but we had a nice time just with family. Abby has a bigger family, so it was good to see everybody and hang out, spend time with them. Yeah, it was quiet for us. We, uh, our, our family, Valerie and Dylan, um, went up to New Jersey, so it was the two of us. But uh, we we enjoyed the rest and the, the quiet period together and, and opened our gifts together. So, Well, great. Well, we had a nice uh, Christmas and New Year as well. We actually had planned to, to go and be with uh, family before Christmas, and then we would be here Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. But we had sickness which uh prevented us from from heading to family before christmas so we did it after christmas but we still had a nice time it was good to good to gather with family and um be with them and we had two great christmas eve services um we promoted these christmas eve services and we really pushed them and this past christmas eve was the was the first time um at least since i've been at the church that we had two christmas eve services uh, we felt because of our 2018 Christmas Eve service attendance that w- we needed to add an additional service just because of how strongly the service was attended in 2018. And um, we saw a great turnout, 482 uh, for for Christmas Eve at the end of 2019. And so uh, that was awesome. Certainly more than we could have fit in one service. So I think that went really well. So uh, exciting stuff. Hopefully we'll see some of those folks back in this new year as well. Well, listeners, we'd like to get some feedback from you. So as always, uh, give us your feedback. You can text us at 777-1417, and you can just uh, tell us what you think about the podcast. Uh, We'd love to hear from you. And uh, if you haven't downloaded our church app, let me encourage you to do so. Um, It's a great place to pick up information about our church, find out what's going on. If you miss a Sunday, you can pick up the sermon. In fact, I did that because I was off the last Sunday uh, of this uh, previous year, last Sunday of December, and I was able to pick up the sermon. I think it was that day. I think I actually listened to it Sunday evening. So uh, really nice to be able to to plug in and, and pick up the, the message if you miss it. And then, of course, if you're listening and you are unchurched, you're looking for a church home, uh, maybe you're just in the area for a little while, uh, come visit us any Sunday at 9 o'clock or 1030 a.m. Well, guys, yesterday in the sermon, I talked about being strong and courageous in this new year. We started a series through the Old Testament book of Joshua, and we were looking at the Lord's instruction to Joshua as the Lord spoke to him, Moses, the servant of the Lord, has died, and now the mantle of leadership has passed to Joshua. And so it's a a new beginning in the nation of Israel. They have a new leader. And Joshua is the man that God has chosen to lead his nation across the Jordan and into the land that God had promised to his people all the way back to the patriarch Abraham. And in this discussion that we had as we looked through um, Joshua 1, 1 through 9 yesterday as a a church, I also shared with with our our church the, the idea of us 
um, pursuing the mission that God has given to us in this new year. And uh, we looked at Matthew 28, the Great Commission, where Jesus tells us to go and make disciples of all nations. And he also promises to be with us. So God gave Joshua a command. He gave him his mission. He gave the, the nation of Israel their mission. And he also pre- promised his presence, that he would be with them. He would not leave them or forsake them. Well, Jesus gives us our mission to make disciples, and he promises, I'll be with you to the end of the age. And so one of the things I presented to our church as a challenge was to think about one person in your life, a family member, a coworker, a friend, a neighbor, someone in your life who does not believe in Jesus, and to invest throughout this new year in praying for that person and in seeking to have a gospel conversation with that person. In other words, seeking to reach them for Jesus. And so um, as we think about this, have you guys had an opportunity as you've thought about that? Have you guys thought, hey, I've, I've got my one? I mean, without any of us saying who that one is, I mean, have you guys been able to identify who that one person is that, that you're really going to be praying for and, and trying to, to reach for Christ? Yeah, I think we just uh... – we have several neighbors around us that hopefully we'll get to uh, know better and have the opportunity. So, yeah, I, I haven't quite settled on on the, just one, but I do have several that I'm thinking of and uh, praying about it. So, excellent, excellent. Well, I think that's good. I mean, I know for me, having um, you know, having accountability and encouragement um, to be intentional is important because I know it's easy to. Um, to lose sight of of the the kind of the intentionality that we need to have on on just kind of a daily basis um, in our prayers and and in seeking to to reach people. So um, you know, ho- hopefully that'll be a blessing to uh, to our church um, and to us as individuals as we as we intentionally reach out to people, pray for people, and hopefully start to see some wonderful fruit where people. Um, come to faith in Christ and and walk with Jesus and follow Jesus and and live in a way that honors God. So, okay, so we are going to continue uh, in Joshua this morning, and we're looking at Joshua chapters two through six. We're not going to read all of this text, but we are going to read um, a significant amount of text together, and we're going to make some observations, give some commentary, and talk about some possible application points. So uh, with this big idea of being strong, be courageous, um, you know, l- let's continue uh, through Joshua here. And specifically, we're going to read chapter 2, and then we're going to read chapter 6, verses 22 through 25. So, Joel, if you'll read chapter 2, and then I'll pick up and I'll read chapter 6, verses 22 through 25. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two, two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. They went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told the kings of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. 
But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords. And the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites beyond the Jordan, to Sion and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, our life for yours, even to death, even you do not tell this business of ours. Then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall, so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, Go into the hills, or the pursuers will encounter you, and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward you may go by your way. The men said to her, We will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and you shall gather into your house your father and mother, your brothers, and all your father's household. And if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear. And she said, according to your words, so be it. Then she sent them away and they departed. And she tied the scarlet cord in the window. They departed and went into the hills and remained there three days until the pursuers returned. And the pursuers searched all along the way and found nothing. Then the two men returned. They came down from the hills and passed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun. And they told him all that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, truly the Lord has given all the land into our hands. And also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. And in Joshua 6, beginning with verse 22. But the two men who had spied out the land, Joshua said, Go into the prostitute's house and bring out from there the woman and all who belong to her, as you swore to her. So the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and mother and brothers and all who belonged to her. And they brought all her relatives and put them outside the camp of Israel. And they burned the city with fire and everything in it, only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and of iron. They put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. But Rahab the prostitute and her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And she has lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. So as we look at this text, we see described for us the 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 beginning of of the nation taking possession of the promised land and 
to begin with before they actually cross the Jordan because the actual crossing of the Jordan is recounted for us uh, beginning in chapter 3. And then what we did was we jumped ahead to chapter 6 to see the circumstances surrounding the actual uh, capturing of, of the city of Jericho. And so they march around the city. On the seventh day, they march around the city seven times. They blow the trumpets. They shout. The walls come down. And they go in and they they burn the city. And Rahab and her family, they are spared. They are saved alive. So as we look at this text, what are some things that, that stand out? I mean, this is this is a section of the Bible that, you know, as far as the, the, the type of literature we're reading, we're reading narrative. So it's, it's, it's history. It's, it's, it's a narrative. It's a story. It's recounting for us what happened at this particular stage in Israel's history. So as we look at this, what, what are some observations that, that we, we make from the text here? Well, just reading the text, I think what stands out to me is, first of all, just the emphasis on God's name being uh, lifted up and proclaimed, and we just see that these these Amorites, the people of Jericho, melting at the understanding of God's miracle that He did of them crossing the Red Sea, and they are Rahab is is fearful, and she says, "Truly, this must be the true God if He can do miracles like this." And it seems like God's proven Himself to the people of Israel and to Joshua and shown them that He's still remaining faithful to them. I think that's one thing that stands out to me. The other thing I think is just this. It's just like uh, God's grace in this whole situation, too, to to show grace to Rahab, a prostitute woman at that. But yet God sees fit to spare her and her whole family. Yeah, and, and, and it's interesting uh, because we know that Rahab is mentioned, um, I believe, in the genealogy of, of Jesus. And... So Rahab became a, a very important part of Israel, and it was not uh, ethnically ethnically part of Israel, but was a Gentile or, or was part of the people that were supposed to be destroyed. And to see that God, uh, even when he was going out to destroy the people of Canaan, uh, he rescued them, rescued a family that believed in him and that believed that he was going to do what he said he was going to say he was going to do and also took their life in their own hand to rescue the spies. So I, I, we see redemption in this story, as you say, Joel. I think that's, that's, a, that's a great story. And it's also a story of redemption for the, the Israel because Israel decided that they didn't want to go to Canaan. They, 40 years before that, uh, the, the, the uh, older generation had said, well, I, this is too much. We don't want to go in there. We're going to get killed. So it's a story of redemption of, and of, the, of, the, of this generation decided to, not only Joshua, but the, all of them decided to follow Joshua and go over Canaan and, and take on um, uh, some very prosperous people and big armies. And, and, and I think this, it's, a, it's a great story of the deliverance of God. Yeah, and you know, on this on this topic of revelation, you know, we see this this idea or this theme of God revealing Himself, and certainly God revealed Himself 
especially to the nation Israel. We see him revealing himself to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we see that it was the, the, the children of Israel, the nation of Israel, that were chosen by God. They were the special recipients of, of God's revelation and, and God's grace. But notice Rahab as a citizen in Jericho, a non-Israelite, the word she speaks to these spies indicates that God's revelation was available to people outside of the Israelites. Because notice at verse 9, when she speaks to these, to these spies that she has hidden, that she's protected, she says this, I know that the Lord has given you the land. Now, isn't that interesting that here, a non-Israelite, Rahab, that, that she says to them, I know that Yahweh has given you the land. How did she know this? Like, how did she know this? And then she goes on, verse 10, she says, we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea. Now, this goes back many years, right? Because, I mean, drying up the water of the Red Sea, that would have happened, you know, after the nation had come out of the land of slavery in Egypt, right? And and that generation, that adult generation, they died in the wilderness. So, I mean, you've got a significant passage of time here. And she says, we've heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea. She says, also what they did to the two kings of the Amorites. So they've heard about that as well. And then she says in verse 11, she says, the Lord, your God, so Yahweh, your God, Look at her statement. He is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. I mean, that's a pretty profound and powerful statement of faith from a non-Israelite. From, from someone who worshiped, came from a culture that worshiped idols, and they didn't have a one true God. So, so it wasn't just that God's revelation was available to Israel— Clearly, God's revealed himself outside of Israel, and here we have an example of a woman, Rahab, a prostitute, who responds in faith, right? Because if you go to Hebrews 11, Hebrews 11 verse 31 says, by faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. So notice how she's contrasted with everyone else. They're described as disobedient, but she's described as having acted by faith. And as a result of her faith, she did not perish with those who were disobedient. So I, I just think it's pretty, uh, pretty incredible how God revealed himself to Rahab, and Rahab responded so positively. She responded with faith, and then she and her family, they end up being saved. And then you see the statement here in chapter 6 that we, uh, that we read together where it talks about Rahab, and it says in verse 25 of chapter 6, she has lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. So uh, pretty incredible stuff. So when we think about God's revelation, um, God's revealed himself to us, but but God's revelation is, is um, certainly revealed outside uh, of, of Israel as well.
is not only to someone just outside of Israel, but to a prostitute. I mean, that, that's the lowest of the low, right? And, um, or at least I think, you know, in, in the moral code of, of as, as expressed in, in, uh, in, in, the, in the, the first five books of the Bible, uh, that was, it was not right to do. But God rescued her because of her faith, despite what she had done and what her lifestyle was. Yeah, and so when we come to the New Testament, you know, it, it, it's, it seems very consistent um, with the character of God that, you know, Jesus would, you know, be a so-called friend of tax collectors and sinners. And Jesus would be criticized for who he would keep company with. And yet, what would Jesus say? It's not the healthy who need the doctor or the physician, but it's the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So outsiders are included with Jesus. And he had prostitutes uh, that followed him. Mary Magdalene was one of them. I also think it's interesting the confidence that the spies had in telling her, well, we'll make this oath that you'll be spared. <laughs> they obviously had some, they had some confidence in the fact that he would spare them. Or spare her. Yeah, you're, you're talking about where, uh, beginning at verse 12, she, she says, swear to me by the Lord. Right. And, and she talks about, you know, being spared. Yeah. And they, yeah, so they they make that promise and and put it on their own lives. You know, your death will be on our head if somebody dies from your family and isn't spared. And so they had, they obviously had some confidence in God that He was going to see fit to spare. Yeah, and you know that there's got to be a lot of confidence, like on that idea you're talking about, because when the king of Jericho is told about the spies who came to Rahab, the, the king sends. To, Jer to, to Rahab, and, and what is Rahab, how does she respond? Does she say, oh yeah, they, they're here, and uh, come right up and get them? No, I mean, she she protects them. Right? I mean, that, that had to be risky, right? Because, I mean, what if, what if the king had found out she lied? Yeah. I mean, would he have responded well to that if, if, if Rahab had deceived him? I, I don't think she'd be living after she, he found that out. So, no. I mean, she clearly, I mean, there was some risk involved here where she's like, okay, what am I going to do? You know, and she who, lied. She also lied. So, Just, well, and the question is, who did she fear more? Did she right. fear more the God of Israel or did she fear the king of Jericho? Well, the king of Jericho was more proximate in, in, in terms of, of his senses, but her faith, uh, caused her to trust in God. We have the same choice always, right? We can trust our circumstances or we can trust God who we can't see, but we know is in control. So, Paul, you made a, you made a point, um, or you made a comment. Uh, you said she lied. Joel, do you think that Rahab lied? Uh, yeah, I think so, yeah. <laughs> so how does that work? So it, so it, it kind of makes me think of... Um, remember in in the book of exodus where uh pharaoh was killing the infants remember that the, the males right and was it the um 
was it the Hebrew midwives um, who they were dishonest. Oh, they said it came out too fast. We couldn't stop them. Right. But if I remember correctly, um, God, God actually blessed them for their actions. Is that, is that correct? I mean, it, in fact, it says, I'm going to read it. Exodus 1.17, it says, But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. And then it goes on in verse 20 to say, So God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. So it's, it's not really... I mean, Exodus 1 with the midwives, Joshua 2 with Rahab, it's not that dishonesty or lying is condoned, but rather our allegiance to God comes before our allegiance to, to man. I mean, is that, is that fair? Oh, yeah. yeah. Very fair, I think. And this, and this is, you know, it's in the context of a battle, I think. Um which is different than lying uh, to save your skin when you do something wrong, which is what we normally we lie. We normally lie to, you know, stop being caught out of something we did that was wrong. So I, I, I think it's I think it's two two separate circumstances and in battle, um, at least the way we read it in the, in the, in, the, in what I read in the Bible, it's. Um, there is there is deception that goes on. I mean, let's look at uh, Satan and God. Satan was totally fooled by the fact that when Jesus died, he rose again, and he was victorious, from what I can see in the Bible. Um, so even the devil can't figure out what's going on all the time, and, and it is fooled. I think this is like, I mean, it's obviously an ethical issue that you could spend some time, you know, discussing, you know, is it ever wrong to lie? Uh, but and I think some people, you know, they use that, they want to use texts like these to discount God and say, "Oh, God was approved of lying, and He's not who He says He is." And, and I think that's when we when we deal with issues like we shouldn't approach them as seeking to disprove God, but we have to take it in light of all of Scripture and understanding that this like Scripture clearly does not condone lying. Or the behavior of, of of lying, or being dishonest, uh, and I mean, I mean, just God has proven Himself throughout Scripture. So to take one this this instance and somehow try and you know break up all of the faith because of it, I think is yeah, yeah, I agree. I, I think just, that yeah, you know, people want to get into uh, you know ethical conversations about this and. Um, I mean, clearly the Hebrew midwives acted as they ought to act. They feared God and they acted in accordance with that. And here Rahab fears the Lord God of Israel and she acts in accordance with that fear. And um, she offers protection to the spies because she sees them as coming on behalf of um, the nation whose God is the Lord, Yahweh. The God who she says is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. And so if it comes down to, am I going to be, am I going to act in a way that is 
allegiant to the king of Jericho, or am I going to act in a way that allegiant to God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath? That's that's not really much of a choice, is it? I mean, fearing God and acting in accordance with that makes a whole lot more sense than fearing a man, no matter how powerful that man might be. Right. So something else, too, here is, you know, and we talked about this yesterday, but there's this there's this actual fulfillment of God's promise because God promised the land of Israel to his people. God promised them the land of Canaan. So what we also see here is we, we see God keeping his promise, God doing what he said he would do. What he promised to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob, what he promised to Moses, what he's promised to Joshua, God is keeping his word and he's giving his people the land that he said he would give to them. And so let's just talk about that, you know, God's promises and, you know, the fact that God's word doesn't fail and and God does what what he said he's going to do. Let's let's talk about that. Well, God's promises are um, for us who obey. And they're a result of us being obedient. I mean, they come for fulfillment when we obey. They don't. We don't get any benefit from God's promises if we don't obey. But He promises that if we obey Him, that He'll care for us, that He'll rescue us, that He will uh, provide for us, and and that's when we trust Him and we obey Him and do his commandments, then we can count on his promises. And that's, that's, I think that's what I see from the story of, of Jericho. I, I can't imagine what it was going through a mind of a, say, a, a teenager that was marching around Jericho um, and wondering why they were doing that. I mean, how, 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 do, you, how do you conquer a city by marching around it? <laughs> it does. It doesn't seem like God would do anything. And yet, here we have the spies who said, well, you know, we're going to, who knew they were going to take Jericho, but they weren't going to take Jericho in a normal way. They were going to take Jericho while marching around it. Again, so it wasn't just Rahab who obeyed. It was the whole uh, people of Israel who obeyed by marching around instead of trying to attack Jericho and conquer on their own. They decided to let God do it. God's promises can instill confidence in us. And there's just a, a security knowing God, the God of the universe has promised us. And so it's going to come to pass. He's shown himself faithful before and he continues to show himself faithful. And so having that kind of confidence in something is, is or, or having something that you can put your confidence in just provides you with that that confidence and that's something that we don't always have especially in our in human relationships we never know because people are human and sinful we never know whether they are going to come through but god does always come through and so a promise from god carries much more weight than even a promise from a human being and i think i think it, it having that confidence also comes from building that relationship with god and knowing who God is, and and why why did these spies have confidence in God? Why did Joshua have confidence in God? It was because of the relationship he had with him and the understanding of 
him knowing who God really was and, and seeing from history his faithfulness to him. And that's why God says, I, just like I was faithful to Moses, I'm going to be faithful to you. And Joshua goes, wow. Sometimes when our confidence isn't strong, it's because our relationship with God isn't where it's supposed to be. We haven't been pursuing that relationship. And so our trust in God is wavers. So the wall falls down and Rahab's in the wall, right? <laughs> what are you what are you asking, Paul? Well, here here's you know, here's Rahab sitting sitting in, in, in the wall, right? She's put the so uh, the, the scarlet cord in the in the window and uh, and Joshua says, Hey, you know, everybody spare everybody except her and then the wall falls down. We, I, I, it doesn't say, but I just know that when, when the wall fell down, her house didn't fall down. Her part of the wall didn't fall down. So it must have been a scary time for her. She put her faith and trust in God, and, and all of a sudden this wall fell down. And here come the children of Israel. Uh, I, I find it, I think it is a fascinating story, and, and I, I, I understand why it's carried through the, uh, into the New Testament. Yeah, and I think I think that is it's just a powerful picture or display of of that of faith, faith in God, and even when we find ourselves in situations like that, whether it be preparing for a surgery or or loss of somebody, it's just we where we we question, you know, what are you doing? But we still can be confident, even though maybe scared or fearful. So I think one of the difficult things that we we think about when we look at Israel's conquest of, of the land of Canaan is um, you see death and you see destruction and you see that Jericho is is wiped out. And we, we need to remember that the people residing in the in the land of Canaan were following false religion. And when we look at Rahab, God acted graciously because he allowed his his truth to be known. And we see in the case of Rahab, she responded with faith to the revelation that was available to her. Um, she knew that Yahweh had given Israel the land. Um, she had heard, and evidently others in Jericho had heard about how the Lord had dried up the water of the Red Sea when the Lord brought them out of Egypt. Um, they had heard about how the people of Israel had defeated the two kings of the Amorites, Sion and Og. And she even has this statement of faith, for the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. And so, yes, there's a lot of death. Yes, there's a lot of destruction. But we also see the grace of God in revealing himself and when someone like Rahab when she responded in faith she she was spared and um you know th there's a reason why these 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 people in Canaan were were to be driven out um they were not worshipers of the god of Abraham Isaac and Jacob they were followers of false religion and all we have to do is read keep reading through Joshua and go into judges and we see the terrible consequences of not driving out the people in Canaan. We, we see what happens because, you know, I remember a, a commentator, um, I think it was on the book of Judges, 
I think he described the book of Judges, and, and, and it's stuck in my mind as, and, and I think it's the book of Judges where it's basically describing the canonization of Israel. Now, you have to think about that for a moment, the, the canonization of Israel. I mean, the land of Canaan is the land that God has given to his people. It's the promised land. But the Canaanites, the people in the land of Canaan, are the followers of false religion. And when Israel comes to occupy the land and they don't drive the Canaanites out of the land, um, do you think the Canaanites all became worshipers of the one true God? Or did Israel, over the course of time, become Canaanized and give themselves over to false worship? It's the latter that happened. And that's what you see in the book of Judges. You see that they, I mean, the book of Judges says everyone did what was right in his own eyes, right? In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And you see a cycle, right? The cycle is they fall into apostasy. They disobey God. They suffer for it. They cry out to God. God gives them a deliverer, a judge who rescues them. They're good for a little while. But then once again, they fall into apostasy. They rebel against God. They suffer the consequences. And it's just this cycle over and over again. And so it was for good reason that God said that they were to drive these people out of the land. And it's part of God's promises, right? God promised that uh, he would rescue people who followed him, which he, he, he called Israel to do, and he promised destruction to people who wouldn't. So God's promises sometimes take a long time to come to effect. But when they do, they, they're, it's swift sometimes. It's, it's, it's devastating. Well, we see that in our world today, too. So as we, as we go along and, and, and we're safe and sound, quote-unquote, in America— we have to remember that God did not promise that he would keep America safe. We need to put our trust in someone who's, who, who can take, keep us safe throughout destruction and who can keep us safe eternally. And uh, so a few people will, will be chosen and many will, be, will not be. And, that, and I think that's the history of mankind. So we do see the incredible and gracious salvation of God here in that he spared Rahab and the family that had gathered with her in her home. And so, um, you know, I mean, was she deserving? No. But when we turn the page and we consider ourselves, not one of us is deserving of the incredible grace of God. I'm not deserving. None of us are deserving. And yet God has graciously revealed himself to us. He's graciously revealed the truth of his son Jesus to us, uh, deliverance and our salvation. And so, you know, in response, we should praise God for his gracious um, salvific work on our behalf. Yeah, I think it's just a, a, it's just a human struggle to understand God for who he is. And it's just because in reality, well, we all deserve... <laughs> We don't deserve to be here in the first place. God graciously created us to enjoy himself and find glory in God. And then also, <laughs> we're, then we sinned against him, we rebelled against him. And so none of us, all of us deserve judgment for that. And so the fact that God spares anybody is 
is his grace. And certainly we, we would certainly it'd be great if God would spare everybody, but we know that's not the case. I mean, God it's, oh, offers grace to everybody, but not everybody will choose to. And so it's just kind of that, that conflict and struggle. between. And I think it just because our human minds, we don't, we want, we want to have solid <laughs> proof and all this stuff, but it's, I think it's because we can't fully understand God and his ways. Well, we also want to have control. We want to be in control. Right. right. But it, it doesn't take much to, have to, to live life that you realize you're not in control. You might think you're in control of some things, but all of a sudden things go poof. And all of your plans and everything you you uh, had, had set out to do, uh, all of a sudden don't you can't do it anymore. Um, that happens to all of us, to the best of us. And uh, we have to be mindful that what we want to do is instead of telling God what to do and, and expecting him to bless what we want done in our lives, we should be looking to God and asking him what he wants us to do and what where can we go obey him today. I think life would be a lot easier on all of us if we did that. Then we wouldn't be so anxious and worried and all the things the Bible tells us not to do because if we're trusting God, then we don't have to worry. Right. And I, I think, yeah, just at some level, each one of us, we want to control who God is. We want to say who God is, and we don't get to do that. We don't get to decide who God is and what he does. And and even the fact that we have a choice to believe in God or not, we can whether we believe in God or not, and we talk about this in John, he says, you're, if you believe, you're, you're not condemned. If you don't believe, you're condemned already. I mean, we the reality is that God is real. And that's ultimate reality, and it's us just coming to terms with that and realizing that. And even as even as believers, we still want to control and make God who we want him to be. When trials come, we say, well, if my God wouldn't do this to me, I'm like, well, he's not your God. <laughs> in that way, anyways. Yeah, not in, the, not in the possessive sense or in the controlling sense, like he's our, like he's our, ATM machine. Yeah, yeah, and, and yeah. You think about. It. I mean, God promised Abram that He was going to give His offspring this land, but it wasn't immediate. I mean, look at what happened. I mean, when Joseph ended up in Egypt, and by the sovereign hand of God, he was put in this position of prominence in the Egyptian government. Um. God revealed to him that what was going to come with seven years of prosperity followed by seven years of famine. And, you know, it was actually God's salvific work. It was God acting graciously on behalf of his people so that during this famine, um, there would be food. They'd be provided for. Well, that got him to Egypt. Well, unfortunately, in Egypt, well, we say unfortunately. Um, I guess if we'd lived it, it'd have been unfortunate from our standpoint. Um, but what happened? They ended up getting enslaved. For a long time. But again, raised up a deliverer, Moses, brought him out. But then generation of, of adults who came out, they died in the wilderness because of their own unfaithfulness. But then God brings them under the leadership of Joshua across the Jordan into the promised land. And they, you know, God keeps his promise. It just, it's not like it's instantaneous, though. But, but God was faithful in that he was with his people through all of it. And he was in sovereign control of every little detail. So I think Jesus, who says in John's gospel, he says, in this world you will have tribulation. 
but take heart. I become the world. So being a follower of Jesus doesn't mean that we have a pain-free life or a tragedy-free life or a crisis-free life, but, but we can take heart knowing that our God is in control. Gentlemen, this has been a, a good conversation. I appreciate your time as we have uh, discussed these, uh, these chapters in the book of Joshua. And I look forward to gathering with you and our church family on Sunday as we continue to be encouraged to be strong and courageous in 2020.